7, he writes, but we have this treasure. He calls what he has through Jesus Christ this treasure. We have this treasure. We have this gospel. We have this hope. We have this life. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Then he's calling the human vessel, the human body, this jar of clay, fragile even, right? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. We did not create the story of Jesus. Jesus came and created his own story. We did not invent this plan of redemption and salvation. It is a gift given to us. This all comes from God. But then he says this. Here's our verses, 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Friends, that resonates with me because sometimes I feel pressed. Anybody here feel pressed sometimes? I feel pressed. I feel pressed by deadlines. I feel pressed by finances. I feel pressed by people needing things. I feel pressed by my own family. I feel pressed by my community. Sometimes I feel pressed by the world, but I take heart because I am not crushed. Amen, friends? We are not crushed by the one. I feel perplexed. That resonated with me too. I am perplexed by things of this world. I am perplexed by my wife. I am perplexed by my children. She's perplexed by me. It goes both ways, I guarantee you. I think I'm easy to understand. I mean, I'm simple, but women? I don't know. I I am perplexed. I am perplexed by social media. Snapchat, I tried it again this week. I don't get it. Kids look in this phone. They take pictures of their nostrils. Doesn't make any sense to me. I am perplexed, but my friends... This much makes sense to me. God loves me. Amen. He has given his life for me. I am perplexed, friends, but I am not in despair because I have hope. I feel persecuted sometimes. I feel the world is persecuting the church. I mean, we have incredible freedom, yes. We have incredible opportunity, but I do feel on many fronts, in many ways, an increasing hostility towards the people of God and of the church. I do feel a persecution and oppression, things pressing in on me. But while we are oppressed, we are not abandoned. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is with us always, and he will accomplish his purposes. He will fulfill his plans. He will fulfill his plans. So we are not, not abandoned. And I feel struck down. I do feel struck down. I do feel knocked down. And I know what happens. Sometimes the promotion passes us by. Sometimes we don't get into the school we were aiming for. Sometimes the relationship we thought was going to be the one forever ends up not being forever. Sometimes we feel struck down, but we are not knocked down and out. We are not destroyed. We have this hope in the overcomer, amen, in Jesus Christ, the one who overcame. Last week when we got into this, We looked to a passage that points us to Jesus and invites us to surrender all of these things to him because he said he came not for those who are well in and of themselves, not those who stand in their own righteousness and think they will get by on that, but for those who are willing to come and say, I'm sick, I need a doctor, Jesus help me. That was the way we prayed it. And I want to, if you do nothing else the next six weeks, I think that prayer can change your life. 
If you do nothing else the next six weeks as this series, as we, as we go through this series, if you simply make that your daily prayer, your breathing prayer, breathing this in and out each and every day, each and every moment it comes to mind, whenever we say that prayer, I believe deep, deep, deep change can begin to happen in our lives. And we really made the first three steps of asking for help. I'm sick. There is a problem, and I cannot fix it on my own. There is a problem, and for us, the sickness is sin. Sin encapsulate all that is wrong, all that is broken in our world. I'm sick with this thing called sin. It has affected me. It has affected my health. It has affected my relationship. It has affected me on every single possible front of life. I'm sick, and I need outside help. I need a doctor. But what we recognize then in needing help is we can't go to another person. We can't put the pressure on a pastor. We can't put it on our spouse. We can't put it on our friend. It's too much. We need to go to the one who overcame. We need to go to Jesus. So I just commend this to you. I'm sick. I need a doctor. Jesus, help. I believe he hears and honors that prayer and will meet you in the midst of that in powerful ways as you keep surrendering yourself to him. So go to Jesus with that. That is where we went last week, but today we're going to go a little bit deeper. And as we go a little bit deeper, uh, well, I wanted to start off with what I believe is one of the most serious problems in our community and in our world. It's a problem that affects one in five people currently, and by that stat played out, it will affect just about everybody at some point in your life. And if it does not affect you directly, it affects directly the person probably that you know, that you love, that you're married to, that you're parenting, that lives beside you. It will affect every single one of us. We are talking about depression, and more specifically, I want to address the area of suicide today. Here's what the World Health Organization says about this problem of depression and suicide. So just a couple stats here. Don't check out. Here are these stats, the best I could find. Depression is, this is their first comment, depression is the most common mental disorder. Globally, more than 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression. Second, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide, and is a major contributor to the overall global burden of disease. Third, more women are affected by depression than men. Actually, the number is twice as much. Nearly twice as many women self-report depression and seek help then for depression. This might play into then the next stat. Um, at its worst, depression often leads to suicide, and more men commit suicide globally than women. It would seem that women then are more readily available to say, I am depressed and seek help. Men keep it undercover. They keep it in the dark until it grows to the point of leading to their own taking of their life. Uh, lastly, we would say then that there are effective psychological and pharmacological treatments for depression. So the encouragement that there is help, there is treatment, psychological and pharmacological treatments for depression. I want to say something about those uh, last, last two points. Um, that it is affecting people to the point of taking their own lives. Here in beautiful, colorful Colorado, where the sun shines more than 300 days a year, 
where people desire to live for the possibility, the availability, the beauty of an outdoor lifestyle and the joy of God's creation, as wonderful and affluent as our area seems, it has also become evident in the past season of life that locally, particularly even here in Highlands Ranch, that the suicide rate, and particularly this amongst adolescents and teens, is nearly twice. If you're not aware of this, it is nearly twice the national average in our area. There is a sickness in our area of depression and despair that is leading to people taking their own lives. What I want to address is another cure, I believe. Not the uh, psychological, although certainly God is the God of our psyche. There are pharmacological, and certainly our God is the God of creation who has enabled us to create help, and there's nothing against that. But I want to go to the soul and to the soul help that our God would provide. And I, want, I, I think this bears a little introspection from the, the body of Christ. Why in our area, then, in particular, would, would life seem to become so desperate and dark for so many that they take their own life? I think there is something, and I need you to hear me on this, because this could be misconstrued, this could be taken out of context, so don't pl please don't read more or less into, into what I'm saying. Jesus, at a key point in his ministry, he says, what gains it, a person, what gain is it for a man if they would gain the world but forfeit or lose their soul? There does seem to be a dynamic at work in the world where people can focus on the world and what it has to offer. I will get the job, and they get the job, and the job is hard, and the job leads to more trouble, and the job leads to more despair, and they seem to forfeit their soul. I want to make the money. I want to get the number of zeros in my bank account where I will feel safe, I will secure, I will feel I've made it, and I don't have to worry, and people seem to reach those numbers, and yet they still feel darkness, despair, and brokenness and hurt. People want to get the relationship, and they think when they get that relationship, they will gain the world, they will gain peace and hope and joy and love, and that person will become everything to them, and they cannot bear the burden of being our Savior. And so we gain these things of the world, right? We gain these things of the world, but it would seem all the more that our community in particular, and I'm speaking to our community, our community needs the gospel that says you do not need to lose your soul. In fact, you can find it in the one who came to save it. You can find it in Jesus Christ. These other things of the world, nothing inherently wrong with them. In fact, a lot of good can come from them, but none of them can be your Savior. None of them can give you salvation. None of them can fix the problem of sin that troubles and affects each and every one of us. So what does it gain us to get the world but to lose our soul? So let's turn then to a story in the Word of God that I think will give us some insight on how to gain our soul through God, and particularly then through Jesus Christ. Um, I'm just going to jump right into the story. It's an awesome story. It's going to sound familiar to many. It's a story of a prophet named Elijah, and when he went into his season of despair and darkness and suicidal thoughts. There, there are several that I could have picked from, and maybe in the course of time or through personal study, if a group or a needs arise, we'll address more of these. But this is just one of many where God confronts and deals with a desperation and a despair, a, 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 um, 
why did I just draw a blank on the, on the word, a depression that can lead to suicidal thoughts on several occasions. But here's Elijah's story, picking up in 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's a great and artful way of saying I put a price on your head and you're dead. I mean, I just love the artful way of saying, I'm going to kill you. And he hears the message loud and clear. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah's ministry only began two chapters before this, and when it begins, it begins with a bang. He is hot out of the gate. We never hear of this guy before, and all of a sudden, he is on the scene, and he goes to King Ahab, and he says, there is going to be a drought, and he prays, and there is a drought. God sends him to a brook, and sends him ravens to bring food, and he's provided for for a long time, but then the brook dries up, but God provides for him again. He says, go to a widow. She's about to cook her last meal and then die, and you're going to give her hope, and your life is going to be saved in the midst of it. He goes to the widow. She's like, I'm cooking my last meal, and then me and my son are going to die. He says, you give me some, and it's never going to run out, and it never runs out. It even looks on one occasion like the son is going to die, and it even looks as if he does die, but he prays for him. Elijah prays for him, and he lives. And by the time we then get to chapter 18, we are three years into this drought. And that is when Elijah calls out King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he says, it's time to have a showdown. The rumble on Mount Carmel is about to happen. He says, bring all of your prophets, gather everybody, and we're going to find out whose God is God. And he has this great statement that he says to the people of Israel. He says, it is time to decide. Why waver between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. And the people were, long intentional dramatic pause, silent. The people were like, we don't know anymore. We know we're like supposed to love God, but the king and the prophets of Baal seem to have taken over they just sort of say, well, we're just going to see how this goes down. And so they all arrive on Mount Carmel, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and the king, and then it's like Elijah alone there. All the other people of God, they were there, but they were in hiding. That's another story for another, another time. And he says, here's how we're going to do it. Let's take two bulls, because I know Baal is really in a bull, so you probably like that. And they're like, yeah, we like that. That's awesome. And, 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 and we're going to set an altar out here, and we're going to pray for fire. You like fire. You like burn things for, for Baal. Yeah, we like fire. So he's like, think, it's like he's, oh, there's so much of this story. It's like he's, he, they think they're actually like rigging it for like them. So they're like, yes, we love this plan. We will sacrifice a bull. We will pray for fire. Whoever's God comes, that's the God. And so he says, you even get to go first. So they set it all up, they do their thing, and nothing. Of course nothing. And he, and, and he even starts taunting them. He's like, oh, maybe he's asleep, pray louder. And they're like, oh, 
good. He's like, like, maybe he's gone on a trip, you know, try and get his attention, pray louder. Says they start cutting themselves and all this wacky stuff and nothing. And then Elijah says, okay, my turn. And they're like, okay, your turn. He takes the bolt, cuts it into 12 pieces, representing the tribes of the people of God and each of them being a part of this offering. He sets up these stones and then he does this. He says, all right, dig a trench around this altar they dig this trench around this altar. It says, now bring these four jars filled with water. It's a drought, their most precious commodity. He says, bring this water, and they dump it out. He says, do it again, and they dump them all out. He says, do it again. It says that the trench they, that, they, that they dug around the altar was filled with water. It's like a pool of water around this altar, and then he says a prayer, and it's such a simple prayer, and the end of that prayer is beautiful. He says, the whole point of this, he says, that they would turn their hearts back to you, God, that the people would turn their hearts back to you. And he closes the prayer, and fire comes down, and it consumes the altar, and the people are in awe, and they destroy the prophets, and they send all the people on the run, and then Elijah tells the king, go and eat and feast, because you're gonna, it's kind of a crazy story, but then, but then word gets to Jezebel, where we picked up our reading. He goes to Jezreel, he tells his wife Jezebel what has happened, And Jezebel sends word, as you heard, to Elijah, you're dead. And what does this man of God do? What does this man of God, who has now stood on the highest of highs, when one setback comes his way, this man who prayed and drought came, this man who prayed and was fed by God, this man who prayed and saw a life come back to a boy who was gone, This man who prayed and fire came down from heaven. This man who prayed and was given energies to sustain a run ahead of the chariots of Ahab, to get ahead of him. What happens whenever this man of God who's experienced victory after victory, answer to prayer after answer to prayer, blessing after blessing, somebody who we think has got it all, what happens when one setback comes his way? says that he went out into the desert alone, sat down under a broom tree and prayed to die. A couple weeks ago, I preached on what seat are you sitting in, and I made reference to Elijah sitting under the seat, in the seat of despair and depression and suicidal thoughts, and I mentioned the broom tree and that I was going to come back around to it, and I wanted to come back around to it for us. That broom tree is very significant and a reoccurring image in the Bible. And the broom tree, a quick study reveals some interesting things about it, that the broom tree only grows out in the desert, that the broom tree has this bitter root that in times of true desperation might be maybe the last thing to eat, that people eat from the root of the broom tree. And the broom tree is characterized by these clusters, these tangles of branches. And what depression and suicidal thoughts do for us speaking in the metaphor now, applying this spiritually to our souls and to our lives, is many of us find a place where we sit underneath our broom tree, where we are alone in desert places, where we are eating bitter roots, and we are entangled and ensnared by the trappings of sin in this world. Elijah sat down underneath the broom tree alone, the first, thing, the first thing that kind of catches me in the story is it said he, he went off 
alone, that he, he left everybody with his servant, and then he even left his servant and goes another day's journey out into the desert. He has worked intentionally to isolate and separate himself from the very community that could provide him encouragement and support. And so the first thing I want to tell all of you today is that do not go it alone. This, again, is our plea our invitation and encouragement for you to get into a group. Do not go it alone. Do not go alone through the depression, the despair, the darkness, the troubles of this world. Just having one person beside you, let alone a group of people around you, can make all of the difference in your life. Despair and depression grows. It grows in isolation. So please, do not feel that you have to be alone in the darkness of your thoughts and your emotions and the struggles of your life. The other interesting thing about this is that times of depression and darkness often follow on the heels of victory. That, that very often, people who experience a breakthrough in one area, it, it seems to almost open the door for darkness in another area of life. Over and over again, we seem to experience joy in this one area, and the next morning we experience pain and brokenness on the heels of those, those victories. What I want to tell young people then this morning is that this will pass. This will pass. Whatever darkness has come into your life, this will pass. I know, I remember, and I'm going to tell a story in a moment, vividly, I believe, of how dark adolescence and coming of age can feel. But I want to tell you that it will pass. Uh, we're in homecoming season. And, I, I, and I'm just going just to share, like, like, like in my own family, like we've had these like struggle, like, like, like kids have these expectations, right? For things that are supposed to be awesome, they're supposed to be amazing, they're supposed to be like the movies and the songs and the TV shows, and they just aren't. And, and then seasons of darkness and despair. This will pass. Young people, whatever you're going through, it will pass. It will pass with the help of God. It will pass with the help of family and friends. It will pass with participation in the body of Christ. These things that seem to overwhelm and consume you will pass. Do not go it alone in those desert places, but seek out community. The second thing says that very often um, in the times of desperation, people would go to the broom tree and they would dig and they'd find then these tubers actually in the roots and they were able to eat them, but they were awful, but they knew it wouldn't kill them. And very, uh, so Job actually does this. Job, in, in his moment of despair, and the Bible character Job went through an incredibly tough season, of course, he went and, and, and he dug and he ate from, then from these, these bitter roots of, of the broom tree, it says. But what I want to tell you about this is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to, again, ask for help when you're in times of despair. And do not alone eat the bitter fruits of the darkness of where you're at. Many of the struggles, let me put it this way, we don't ask for some of these struggles and these depressions and these darknesses that come into our lives. We don't ask for them, but we can own them. And I think that's a very important point, a very crucial point in getting through seasons. We don't ask for 
these struggles in life, but we can own them. What I mean by that is owning them is saying, if this has come into my life, then there is something for me to learn from this. There's a strength I may gain from this. There's an empathy for others that you might be able to put into me that I can actually help others through a season like this in their life. Whenever we own our struggles, we don't ask for them, but when we own them, then God can use them in more significant ways for healing in our own life, and then even as ministry to others. Do not sit alone eating the bitter roots and turn that sour stomach of those difficulties of your life, but go to God and own them and go through this with God, these struggles that come into our life. The third thing then, it says that had these tangled branches that is characterized by these balls of tangled branches, and to me that is just vivid of the image of the way that it says that sin ensnares. Darkness, desperation, depression can ensnare and entangle us. Let me make the transition so that I have time to make the main points. I'm coming up on my high school graduation anniversary. Not my 10th, not my 20th, <laughs> my 30th high school anniversary is this coming year. That is very depressing to me right now. I just got to confess that right now. I'm a part of the class of 1990 of the Westmont Hilltop High School. Go Hilltoppers! I mean, at the time, I thought it was such a goofy name, the Hilltoppers, but now I think it is super cool. The Hilltoppers, the class of 1990, Westmont Hilltop, a small class, less than 140 of us. It was our senior year. Everything should have been up and to the right, even though Johnstown was in a depressed state. It was a steel town, already post-industrial, but we were in kind of the professional part of town. We were considered the upper class. We were the right side of the tracks, mostly the professionals, where everything should have been good. Everything should have been great. Most everybody is making their plans to get out of town and go off to college or somehow make a breakthrough in their own lives. And then it was very early on, right at the beginning of our senior year, that one Sunday morning, calls began to come through, landlines, kids, those existed at one point, and the word began to spread that Kara had killed herself. She's a cheerleader. She just cheered the night before at a football game. But she got into a fight with her parents. Her parents grounded her. It seemed overwhelming, I can only imagine, to her. And I'm just going to be explicit in this. And she hung herself in her bedroom and died. And as tragic as that was, it was only a few months later after we were hanging out in the middle school parking lot, because the middle school parking lot, unlike the high school parking lot, was well lit, and we could ride our skateboards and play hacky sack and throw frisbees, and we were all hanging out with Bruce, and the very next morning, the calls began again. Bruce killed himself. And then we graduated under a cloud of darkness and despair, many of us. A cloud of some confusion. And the confusion was then only multiplied whenever the calls began again on a Sunday morning when Frankie shot himself. Three of my classmates from a class of less than 140 people took their own lives. And strangely then, this to us became the new normal. I guess this is how life goes for some people. 
I guess some people get so lonely, so broken, so lost, so hurting. I guess some people just take their lives. And this became for us the new normal. And it wasn't until I gained some perspective in life that I began to have the perspective that would cry out, this cannot be the new normal. This should never be the new normal. This should not be the course of life for our young people and should not be the course of life for any of us. That things would get so bad that we would take our own lives. And my friends, can we just declare right now, to jump to the main point here, let us never declare that the suicide rate that is twice the national average in our own community could ever be the new normal. Amen? We cannot let this be the new normal for our children. We cannot let this be the new normal for our lives, that we think that as a matter of the course, people will just end it all. Let us be a people to give them hope, to give them life, to give them encouragement, to give them support, to give them whatever they stand in need of so that they would never be in such a place where they think the only answer is to end the pain through the taking of their own life. We have already tried to make inroads in this course. We have run a course through the organization Access and watched videos and had discussions on how to prevent suicide. We can keep doing that as a church community. We can offer that to friends and to family members in the community. We can get that out into the schools if they need help. Let us simply seek to be a leading force and voice saying, we will talk to you, we will walk with you, we will be here for you if you feel the only answer left, the only solution left is for you to take your own life. Because, friends, we have one who gave his life so that we wouldn't have to. I invite the band to come up as we turn the corner to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ looked out onto a people who were in the desert of sin and depression, of darkness and despair. He looked out unto a people lost in the desert, and he said to them, I will be for them a fountain of living water. During the course of his ministry, Jesus, after going through a desert season, came to a well, and there he met a woman, and this woman who had her own troubles, her own despair, her own difficulties in life, sought the living water and found it in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he who ever drinks from me will well up to them to be a spring of eternal life. Friends, we can turn to Jesus in the darkness of our desert seasons, in the dryness of the desert seasons, and find living water welling up in him. Amen, friends? Amen. Jesus saw a people eating from the bitter root, and he offered something better. He offered his own life. On the night where he would be killed, he took a loaf of bread and he lifted it and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. I will give you something that will not taste bitter and not be a jagged pill going down, but will be the very bread of life for you. Jesus looked out onto a people entangled in sin and he said, I will set them free. And our Jesus, instead of going out into a desert to sit underneath a broom tree, he went up onto a hilltop where he was nailed on a cross. And on that cross, Jesus cried out the same words of Elijah, take my life. But he didn't say it out of depression. He didn't say it out of despair. He didn't say it 
as a suicide. He declared that as an offering. My father, he had prayed before, if it doesn't have to be this way, I don't want it to go this way, but if it is going to go this way, then Father, take my life. Take my life so that they may live. My simple point, my simple message, my simple ending is maybe for just one person here, but the one person who would need it, and this would make all the difference. You do not have to take your life, my friend. You do not have to take your life, my child. You don't have to take your life because one has already given his life for you so that you might live. Don't do it. Surrender it to him. Let me just pray for us, and then let's have some time for worship. Heavenly Father, I know this issue of suicide has touched my life in significant ways that I'll never forget. And it has shaped me. It has been a part of making me and molding me part of creating empathy in me, a part of creating passion in me, but oh, I wish it had never had to have gone this way. I wish it could have been done in other ways, Lord. So my prayer is for anybody here this morning who might be at that place where they would ever contemplate taking their own life, that they we would break through into their mind, into their heart, into their soul this morning, so that they would know that you have already given your life for them so that they may live forever in you. And if one person prays that prayer today, Lord, it is all worthwhile. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for giving your life so that we can, might live. Amen. And the obvious, for us, the path has been cleared. The idols have been torn down. And we have now a way and a truth, and a life in worship. We now have a Savior who is the way, and the truth, and the life that invites us to worship Him and Him alone. We have Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and He is the way. He is the life. He is the truth of God, the Word living for us put your faith, put your trust, put your worship in him. And as you go through this way of worship, anything that is working its way between you and God, some idol, fame, sex, beauty, love, uh, 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 a goal, athleticism, a what, whatever it is, and the human heart can make anything an idol, can allow most anything come between us and God, Christ will lovingly bring you back to himself and show you the way and the truth and the life in him and will root these idols out of your life. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for me and let us consecrate ourselves with finally the perfect song. I can't believe we waited this long for desert song. It's the perfect song. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing the perfect song to consecrate ourselves to this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for revealing this for them, for us, revealing this exodus for us. And now, without any more flowery words or long-winded messages, Lord, we ask for our exodus. Lead us out of any idolatry, 
out of anything that comes between you and us. Lead us out of the way that leads to destruction, to pain, to brokenness, to heartache, even to death. Lord, lead us out and lead us into your way. Lead us into your truth. Lead us deeper into your life. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.